Hey, open up your copy of scripture to Matthew chapter 25. You know, a few weeks ago, uh, actually it's probably been a month and a half ago, a half, a half ago, I told you that one summer between my eighth grade year and my freshman year of high school, I had a huge growth spurt. Went from four foot 11 to not four foot 11 right before my freshman year. And I was really thankful about that. And we often think of uh, the summer as just a time to relax, kind of let off the gas pedal. We go on vacation, things have changed, kids aren't in school. All those types of things. But summer can be a really great opportunity because things have changed. And so I have started praying, and hopefully you've been praying along with me, about this summer being a season of a spiritual growth spurt. That we would grow up some inches spiritually, individually, and as a church family. Well, if you're growing, you want to mark... Uh, in your laundry room to show how much you are growing. And I remember as a kid going and marking, uh, it was always in our laundry room. That was the room that nobody cared about. It was the business room, you know, so it didn't matter if there was ink pen on the walls. And uh, and having my mom or dad measure me, and if I needed some encouragement, I would measure myself and make sure that the pen was, uh, you know, up in the back to give me a little bit more growth. And so I thought here we're a little more than halfway through the summer. I think there are five weeks before school starts again. If we just wanted to, to put some marks on the wall to see how things are going, uh, God is the one who gives the growth. You can't sit in a room and grit your teeth and uh, you know, have it result in spiritual growth. But, uh, so I just thought I'd ask us all, including myself, some real simple questions. Uh, are you growing spiritually? And uh, if not, then we're just going to keep praying and keep asking God uh, to grow us up uh, in him. But uh, how, how would you say you're growing? Don't answer out loud. These are all rhetorical questions. Sometimes I feel the need to say that. Uh, uh, in your hunger for God, would you say that you're more hungry for God, his presence, his way, his will in your life than you were at the beginning of the summer? Uh, The apostle Peter writing in the New Testament says that we should crave God and his word like a newborn craves milk. And if you've had a newborn before, you know that you don't have to set, uh, you don't have to set alarm with them. There is a hunger that just, just comes. In fact, they are the alarm and you can't talk them out of hunger. You know, nobody can say uh, to them, hey, don't worry about it or we'll get to you later. They are just hungry and nothing uh, will satisfy unless it is that milk that they are desiring. And so when it comes to your spiritual hunger, where are you growing? Not are you where you want to be even, but do you feel like you're growing? What about the scripture? Uh, how are you growing in the scripture? Maybe even in your understanding, your desire, the quality of it, the quantity of how much you're reading the Bible. I want it to be the expectation of everybody who comes to church here that we read our Bible every day. Uh, that should be a just pretty reasonable thing. Jesus has asked much more of us than that. He said, take up your cross and follow me. And uh, if you don't love him more than you love your mom and dad and son or daughter, then you're not worthy to be uh, one of my disciples. And so we can set the standard that I'm going to try to read the scripture every day. But where are you in that? Are you, are you growing? And again, not are you where you want to be, but what about prayer? Same thing. Are you praying more? Are you praying more? Uh, more vibrantly, filled with more of God's spirit as you pray. Um, what about sharing the gospel? We are all ambassadors of Christ. Are you sowing those seeds everywhere you go? Are you planting kingdom seeds? Good news that Jesus is Lord and that changes everything. Are you sowing those seeds? And, and finally, the Bible um, in the New Testament, especially it associates spiritual growth and suffering. 
And that's not something any of us are looking for. But if you've been enduring some kind of suffering this summer, um, how is it compared to the last time that you suffered? Are you more filled with joy and hope and peace than you were last time? Or have you turned that suffering into prayer for spiritual growth? That's not something that we look forward to, but God can use it. So just put some marks on the wall, just even mentally. And if you look back at the marks and you're like, gosh, I don't think anything has changed between now and the beginning of the summer, we're going to keep praying. God is the one who brings the growth, but we can keep praying. And I believe that by the end of the summer, he is going to answer those prayers. Matthew chapter 25 is what we are focusing on today. Speaking of examining and looking and testing. Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse five, the apostle Paul says that we should examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. I mean, he says, you should test yourself to make sure that you are a Christian. There are lots of people that fill lots of churches who claim to be Christians, but I think the scripture would say they aren't actually Christians. And so well, Matthew chapter 25 is one of those tests today. Uh, Jesus is gonna say, this is proof. This is evidence that I am your Lord. So let's read it together. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Now Jesus is using the title son of man for himself. Now that's not meaning son of a human. Uh, It's a, it's an official title. It comes from the small prophetic book of Daniel in the old Testament. Daniel has this vision of one, like a son of man actually co-ruling with God. And so Jesus reaches back into the Old Testament, Israel's history, and he yanks that title forward. And he says, this is about me. That vision that Daniel had, I am going to refer to myself in this way. So you can imagine uh, how the people listening to him, when they heard that, because they knew the story of Daniel and they knew about Daniel's vision, it was just electricity in their minds. How can this guy be saying that he is the son of man? And yet it is the most uh, common way that Jesus refers to himself. Others refer to him as Christ. Uh, Others refer to him as Messiah. Uh, Others refer to him as the son of God, but he refers to himself most often as the son of man. And he says, the son of man is going to come in his glory and all the angels with him and he will sit on his glorious throne. Now he's been talking about his coming for actually a couple chapters now. It started in Matthew chapter 24 when the disciples ask him, hey, what are the signs? How are we going to know? What's the lay of the land uh, that you are returning again? And he gives this description that is both beautiful and terrifying. There are some really beautiful things about what is gonna happen when he returns. They're they're good things. The earth is gonna be filled with justice and righteousness. But then there are also all these kind of terrifying and bad things, earthquakes, famines, false teaching, lots of bad things. He says, this is gonna be the setting that you should be looking for when I come. And then in the beginning of Matthew chapter 25, he talks about how we should be ready that even though we won't know when he's gonna return, it's our job to make sure that we are prepared. And he talks about coming in glory with all the angels. Now that's easy for us to believe on this side of Jesus' resurrection. But remember his first disciples, they knew him as Jesus from Nazareth, not Jesus from heaven. Uh, They knew that God gave him great power when he taught, that he didn't teach like any other spiritual leader that they had ever heard. They knew that God was doing great miracles through him, but they had to believe by faith that he is Jesus from heaven, not just Jesus from Nazareth. Verse 32, all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left hand. So the shepherd is gonna come and separate sheep on the right, goats on the left. 
A few months ago, I was in Washington, D.C., never been there, total tourist. One of the museums that we were going through, there was an official tour group that was going the same pace through the museum as I was. They had things written on the wall for normal people, but there was a tour guide with this tour group and, and, and they had a lot better information than what I was reading on the wall. And so I found myself just sort of trying to blend in a little bit. I didn't want to be a paying customer. I didn't have one of those fancy lanyards, but I thought if I just sort of eavesdrop into learning, I mean, learning is a good thing. I mean, who doesn't want that, right? Jesus is going to separate people, sheep, right, goats, left, and there won't be any blending in. There won't be any, maybe I can fool somebody. I mean, you can fool church people you're welcome here. We're glad you're here. You could fool us. You tell us that you believe in Christ. If you've been around church enough, you can learn our lingo and vocabulary and patterns. And you could put together a couple of phrases to say a prayer, just try to be a good person. And probably honestly, we would never know. But on that day, people are going to know. He's going to know who goes to his right and, and who goes to his left. Verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, that's the sheep, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. So he says about the sheep, come on in, you're blessed by my father. You have an inheritance and that inheritance is the kingdom that God has prepared for you before he created the world. So how is Jesus going to know who goes to his right and who goes to his left? Because the stakes are very high. Verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. So Jesus says to those on his right, you guys remember when I was hungry and I was thirsty? Do you remember when I was a stranger, I was a foreigner and I came to you? Do you remember when I needed clothes and you helped me out? Do you remember when I was sick and in prison and you came and visited me? Do you guys remember that? And then the people on his right say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? Verse 37, I give you something to drink. When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? So do you guys remember that time when I really needed help and you helped me? And they say back to him, no, we don't remember that. I would have lied. I would have been like, oh yeah, totally. I, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember now. I was having a hard time. But they're honest. They say, when did we see you like that? Verse 40, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus says, you helped me when you helped my brothers and sisters. Now, who are his brothers and sisters? We know this from Matthew chapter 12. So just a few chapters earlier, Jesus is teaching inside a house, inside of a small uh, group. The, the room is full and it says that his brothers, his biological brothers, they come along with Mary, his mother, and they summon for him. They send in somebody. It would be like you sending somebody to me right now and saying, hey, can I talk to you outside? That's what they do to Jesus. Now we know from the rest of the gospels that Jesus' brothers at that point in his ministry, they don't believe, which you can have a lot of sympathy for because if one of your brothers and sisters was like, hey, just, just want you to know, I'm in charge of everything. I mean, everything. I'm in charge of you. In fact, I'm your Lord right now. 
confess me as Lord right now or you're not getting into the kingdom of heaven. I mean, you would have a reaction to that. You'd be like, shut up, right? I saw you when you were in diapers. You shut up right now. So they respond the way we would probably respond if one of our brothers or sisters started acting like that and they did not believe. And now that not only do they not believe, but they think that Jesus is kind of embarrassing them because he's saying some pretty outlandish things. I mean, they knew Daniel's vision. Their ancestors had talked about it for generations and now Jesus is, their brother has the audacity to say, oh yeah, that was about me. So they want him to tone it down a little bit. And so the messenger goes in, hey, your brothers and your mother are outside. They want to speak to you. And Jesus says to the crowd, you know who my brothers and sisters are? You know who my mom is? It's not those people outside. It's the people who will do the will of God. So when Jesus says my brothers and sisters, that's who he's talking about. But it's not just brothers and sisters. Look at the other word that's used to describe who these people help. The least of these brothers and sisters. Now think about who kings and queens have historically surrounded themselves with, right? Who fills up a king's court? Lords, ladies, powerful, wealthy, people who could offer the throne something. But Jesus is saying, no, I identify with the hungry and the thirsty, those who need clothes, the stranger, the sick, and those are in prison. That's who is filling up my court. And when you helped them, you helped me. Jesus identifies with the hungry. Right now, one out of every nine people in the world does not have enough food for a healthy lifestyle. They're considered chronically hungry. One out of every nine. Jesus identifies with the thirsty. 663 million people in the world right now do not have access to clean water. Meaning, Twice the population of the United States of America, if you drank their water, you would get sick. Maybe you would get sick and die. Jesus identifies with the stranger. Who does he consider the stranger? The Old Testament law tells us this. Leviticus chapter 25, verse 35. If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and are unable to support themselves among you, help them as you would a foreigner and stranger so they can continue to live among you. Israel had this lifestyle that God had prescribed in his law that when someone was, who was not born in Israel wanted to come and be a part of God's people, they welcomed them in. And not only did they welcome them in, they took care of them so that they could continue to live in Israel. In fact, so much did they take care of the foreigner and the outsider that the, the Old Testament law is saying, hey, when somebody on the inside needs help, you need to make sure that you treat them the way you're treating people on the outside. Think about how backwards that is from most of our human nature. We're just hoping to treat people on the outside the way we treat people on the inside. But the Old Testament law says, no, treat the people that you know and love the way you've been treating people on the outside. That's how high their standard was for welcoming in the stranger and the foreigner. And that's who Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 25. He identifies with people who need clothes. The first time I left the United States, I went to Kampala, Uganda. And we were working with a local pastor there who was this amazing gifted minister and, and he would come and pick us up every morning and we would just do whatever he, he told us to do. And I noticed that he wore the same clothes every day. Same shirt, same pants, same pair of shoes. I didn't know at the time that his definition of closet and my definition of closet were not the same. Uh, 
now I know that more people in the world understand his definition of a closet than mine. Most of us have so many clothes that we couldn't wear them all this month. We have aspirational clothes, clothes that used to fit that we're praying one day will fit. (laughs) Um, Most people in the world do not have that luxury. Jesus identifies with the sick. If I ask this morning, who is being affected by cancer right now? Show of hands, I'm guessing that we could get 100%. Either we, someone we love, someone we know is battling it right now. Uh, This message is about 25 minutes long, not 25 minutes from now, uh, but 25 minutes from when I was late. Um, In that time, four children in the world will die from malaria. There are two and a half million people in the criminal justice detention centers right now around America. My point in sharing all that with you is that Jesus still has a lot of brothers and sisters in the world. And how we are treating them he is taking very personally. Which is good news if you're in one of those boxes today. If you're hungry or thirsty, if you're sick today, if you're a stranger, if you don't look like everybody else, Jesus is suffering with you more than you can imagine. And it's not a random list that Jesus just pulls off the top of his head. If you read the book of Exodus from beginning to end, which you could do today, it'd only take you about an hour. You'll see that God's people, Israel, they clicked all of those boxes between the time they were slaves in Egypt to the time that God delivered them to the land of promise. Uh, They were hungry. That's why God gave them manna, a miraculous bread-like substance on the ground every morning when they woke up. Uh, They were thirsty. That's why God has Moses speak to a rock uh, and another time tap the rock with a staff and water comes gushing out of it. Another time the, the Israelites, they're out in the wilderness, the desert. They come to a, a, to a, a place where they had water, but it was undrinkable. They were like one of the 663 million people in the world right now. They couldn't drink that water. It wasn't good for them. And so God tells Moses what to do to make it drinkable. Uh, they were strangers. They didn't have an address. They were nomadic people wandering around this wilderness, bumping into other nations and countries. They needed clothes. That's why God miraculously made their clothes not wear out. There's just two little verses in the Old Testament about how their clothes didn't wear out and their shoes didn't wear out. Can you imagine having the same shirt your entire life? You better love that shirt. (laughs) But God made sure that their things never wore out because there wasn't a gap out in the desert, right? Uh, They were sick. The reason we know they were sick is because God told them what to do when they got sick. We've been reading through the Bible as a church family uh, this year. If, you, if you're new with us, you can jump in right where we are at the bottom of your listening guide this morning. It will tell you what this week's readings are. And we spent way longer in Leviticus and Numbers than I think any of us were hoping to do. And it seemed like, at least to me, every other day was what they should do when they got a rash. And it was real complicated. It was like any red thing showing up on their skin, they were all like, oh gosh, now I gotta go 
go and show myself to this person. I got to treat it with this. I got to, can't, can't do that. Why did God give them those laws and those prescriptions? Because they got sick. Same way that we get sick, right? And you talk about being in prison. They started their journey as slaves to the Egyptians. God has always had a heart for the people who fit in these categories. Now Jesus is saying, not only do I have a heart for these people, I'm gonna take it personal how you treat them. So this is more than just God loves people in these categories. Therefore, I ought to love these people who fit these categories. This is Jesus saying, I am with them. How you do or do not do to them, you do or do not do to me. But he says to the people on his right, you've helped. But then he speaks to the people on his left. Verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So compare that with verse 34. It's the exact opposite. To the people on his right, he says, come. To the people on his left, he says, depart. To the people on his right, he says, you've been blessed by my father. To the people on his left, he says, you're cursed. To the people on his right, he says, welcome to the kingdom that God has prepared for you since the foundation of the world. To the people on his left, he says, into the eternal fire that God prepared for the devil and his angels. Verse 42, for I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick and in prison and did not help you? So Jesus says the same thing to them. You guys remember that time that I was hungry and thirsty and I was a stranger and I needed clothes and I was sick and in prison. Do you guys remember that? And they say the same thing. No, honestly, we don't remember that. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. How powerful are those three little letters? N-O-T. Eternal destinies hang on those three letters. You did not do for these. You did not do for me. It's election season. That's why all of us are so excited. And if you know anything about campaigns, one of the primary ways that they raise money is to hold hold these galas in all kinds of towns. And they buy expensive plates and the money used to buy the plate of food, you know, goes to run the campaign. But the payoff is not the delicious food. The payoff is, is that you get your picture with that candidate. So future president, future senator, future representative, so that you can brag to all your friends and say, hey, I was in the same room with these people. In fact, we're best friends as proven by this picture, right? What Jesus is saying to the people on his left is, why didn't you guys want to take a picture with me? And the people on the left are like, when, we didn't see you. You weren't at the gala. I mean, if you had been at the gala, I totally would have snapped a pic with you. I mean, you are the son of man. 
the glorious returning Lord coming with angels, sitting on a glorious throne. I would have absolutely taken a picture with you, but you weren't there. And Jesus says back to them, I was totally there, but I didn't wear a tuxedo. I came to the gala with an empty stomach. I didn't walk down the red carpet. Uh, I came as somebody, one of the 663 million people in the world who doesn't have water. I wasn't wearing a really nice evening gown that night. In fact, I was wearing the one shirt that I had. And honestly, the... This morning isn't about the hungry or the thirsty or the stranger or the people who need clothes, the sick or the people in prison. It's not about them. This passage, Matthew 25, is about you and me and it's about Jesus. Because if you and I genuinely believe what verse 31 says, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. If we believe that that is who Jesus is and he is saying today, I stand with these groups of people, then our only response is, well, then I stand with those groups of people. If these groups of people are the highest on Jesus' priority list, well, they just suddenly got bumped up to the highest on my priority list too. And he says the converse to us today. If you don't treat these people the way I am asking you to treat them, then I am not your glorious Lord, no matter how good you are at blending in. And when Jesus returns, he's coming in a way that none of us will miss him. I mean, you talk about wearing a tuxedo. He's wearing the glory of heaven. But the first time he came, he didn't come like that. In fact, he came like these people. He came hungry. Remember, he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And then after that, Satan comes to tempt him and he prays upon that hunger. He says, why don't you turn these stones into bread? Just use your power from God to do something for yourself. He came thirsty. Remember we studied just a few weeks ago, John chapter four, he's walking through Samaria and he sits down on a well because he was tired. Tired as he was, the scripture says. And he asked that woman for a drink. He was also thirsty when he was offering his life on the cross for us. He said, I thirst. It's one of the few things that he said when he was being crucified. He came as a stranger. He he was a refugee. He had to flee Israel because a terrible dictator was seeking his life and murdering children that were his age. And so Mary and Joseph got him down to Egypt. They had to flee Israel. Also later on, he said in his ministry, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He didn't have an address. He was always dependent on someone else's generosity. He needed clothes when the Roman soldiers and the soldiers of the temple stripped him so they could beat him within an inch of his life. And when they took his clothes off to hang him up on the cross and then they gambled for him. He was sick. Now you're like, no, hey, we got you there. I mean, he's the son of God. He's not getting sick. Well, maybe 
not except for in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was praying and uh, his body was not doing what we would expect it to do because the strain that was on him, he was sweating blood instead of sweating sweat. I don't know if that's normal. That's never happened to me. I assume that's never happened to you. So maybe it's not sickness, but uh, I doubt any of us are raising our hands for it today. And he was in prison. They arrested him in the Garden of Gethsemane and they locked him up. They tried him, they convicted him. And then his prison sentence ended with the death penalty. Maybe that's why Jesus stands with these groups of people. Because when he came to us, he came as one of them. And what's interesting is there is a group of people who check most of these boxes right now in our world. And they are, as I mentioned earlier about Jesus, they are refugees. They're, most of us don't give very much of our time thinking about them, but they check a lot of these boxes at the same time. Right now, there are 71 million people who are classified as refugees, which means they've had to leave their home by force. They didn't want to leave, but they, they had to leave. They had to they had to flee. 71 million people. Most come from just a handful of countries. They come from Syria, Afghanistan, Myanmar, and South Sudan. Most of that 71 million people end up living in a camp on the other side of the border from wherever they were from. So Syrians have come to Jordan. You know what's interesting right now is we have a team from Bayou City Spring Branch that is in Jordan right now. Guess who they're ministering to? Syrian refugees. Uh, Refugees from South Sudan end up in large refugee camps in Uganda. Guess who just sent and is looking to send in September a team from Bayou City, Cyprus to go to Uganda to work with, guess who? Refugees from South Sudan. 71 million people who want to live in their home the same way you want to live in your home, but can't. They check a lot of these boxes. And God has given us an opportunity to minister to them, to serve them, to stand with them. And by standing with them, we are standing with him. Thankfully, we're a part of a church who does this all year long because most of that 71 million uh, people end up in a refugee camp around the world, but a lot of them end up in Houston. And uh, in the last few years, we've begun to partner with four organizations who are serving refugees all year long. Out here in Northwest Houston, there's Abba's House. And then here at our own church, English uh, Gateway, which is, teaches ESL, many of the students are considered refugees and that's how they ended up in Houston. Uh, inside the city, uh, we partner with uh, PLI, Prestige Learning Institute, which also teaches English as a second language. Many of those students are refugees. And then some members of our church, started Houston welcomes refugees. Uh, you can imagine how scary it would be if the United States government said, hey, you can come to America. Most of you have never been here. You don't have any family. They tell you what city you live in. You don't get to actually just check a box and be like, you know where I really feel called as is San Diego. That's where I would like to flee Syria and move to San Diego. The United States government tells them where they end up. Many of them have ended up here in Houston. So you've never been here. The government has provided you a place to live and that's about it. No furniture, nothing else. What Houston welcomes refugees make sure happens is that when they get off the airplane in a place that they've never been, there is somebody there with a sign that says their name. Can you imagine how powerful that is? And then this team takes them to their apartment, um, make sure they have furniture in their apartment, make sure that they have food for the first couple of weeks. So every day, somebody from Houston and from our church and other churches is showing up at their apartment just to say, hey, and to build that friendship, right? 
I'm so glad that I get to go to a church that says the people that Jesus cares about, we care about too. But like most things, 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. And when it comes time for Jesus to separate sheep and goats, I don't think I'm going to get to raise my hand and be like, well, I was a member of a church that I think did some of this. Does that count? No, I think it's more what did you do and what did I do? And so thankfully we have an opportunity this week to align our lives literally with Jesus by aligning our lives with a a handful of refugees. Uh, I want you to pull out your phone um, and uh, pull out your text app. And I wanna encourage you to text 44888, that's the number, and type in Matthew 25, Uh, There's some debate about whether there is a space between Matthew 25 or you should just jam that together. I have heard that both work and neither work. uh, So one of them is going to work for you. I used a space. It worked fine. Matthew 25 to 44888. And here's what's going to happen. I know you want to know what's going to happen before you push send on that. Uh, This week, uh, every morning, if you subscribe to this, you're going to get a text message. And it's going to encourage you to do something that day that a refugee uh, in Uganda from South Sudan or Jordan from Syria um, to experience one of their realities. Thankfully, it's just one of their realities and not all of their realities. Like for example, one day it's gonna ask us to not sleep in our very comfortable mattress because you, if you are living in a refugee camp, you don't have the heavenly bed from the Weston mattress. You have something very hard and so it's gonna encourage us to sleep on the floor that night. Uh, another one of the days it's gonna ask you to skip lunch So make sure you eat a big breakfast, skip lunch, and then eat rice and beans that night because most refugees are are living on a diet of rice and beans. So just a few very simple things uh, for us to put ourselves in the shoes of our brothers and sisters and more important than our brothers and sisters, Jesus brothers and sisters around the world. And the idea is, is that when we experience a little of what they're experiencing, our level of concern and compassion and care will grow. And once that happens, then we will respond the way that Jesus would have us respond. Um, The other tangible benefit is, you know, it's so easy for me to turn inward to make sure that my needs are the needs that are highest on my list. But everything about the scripture says it should be the opposite, that my needs are the lowest needs on the list and everyone else's needs. Philippians chapter two says, consider others as more important than yourselves. And so this is one very simple way that we can do it. It's also a very simple thing. You can get your family in it. If you're looking to punish your kids, make them sleep on the floor and then you can, you can blame it on Jesus. You know, hey, just align in your life with our Lord. No, don't do that. That would be a terrible message to send to them. But my hope is that we will be changed this week And if we are all changed, then our church is going to change. And if our church changes, then the world's going to change. That's a really good thing. And then we'll be on the right, those people that Jesus says, come, blessed by my Father, into your inheritance, a kingdom prepared for you before the creation of the world. So I want to encourage you, Matthew 25, 44, 888. And tomorrow morning, we'll start putting ourselves in the shoes of some of the people who are living these boxes that Jesus lays in front of us today. So Lord, we we pray that we would be responders to your lordship and your grace and your mercy and your power and your will 
and your word for our lives today. That's, that's what we want to do. We just want to align ourselves. So help us, help us. And would you change us? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.